Hey everybody, Paul Dan Jr. here from Here That Podcast Ground. Great to have you listen to the podcast, but I highly recommend you got to give some love to our great friends at 50 West Brewing Company. I'm not just saying that because I'm great friends with Optimistic Bobby. I'm not just saying that because, you know, uh, they're a sponsor of the podcast. This is delicious beer. I'm drinking Coast to Coast. I'm drinking Doom Pedal. You've got their Ocean City Ghosts. And go down to the production works or the brew pub. It's the perfect time of year to do it. The The weather's great. The sand volleyball is going on. They have cycling groups, canoeing, kayaking. They're training people for marathons. They're doing fun runs and drinking afterwards. Man, you can't beat it. I highly recommend. Perfect time of year to head down to the Pro Works or the Brew Pub. Enjoy delicious beer. Great food. Can't beat it. And remember, every beer is a journey. Come join for the ride. Welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growling, Paul Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here with you to talk Bengals. How are we doing, Jay? I'm good as long as no one boos us. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm glad. You know, Sometimes I, I wait for people to do that on the street, you know? You, you, you write a bad story or you feel like the, the podcast was sloppy and you had issues. You expect to walk out of the, the stadium or the office and just have someone standing there on the street. Just, Boo! You suck! Right? <laughs> we get enough of that on Twitter. I don't know if I could handle it on the street. <laughs> Twitter is. It is. Twitter is, the, is our equivalent. Our yes. mentions are totally the equivalent of playing football inside of the stadium where people just tell you how much you suck. It's great. Sometimes they people, don't realize that they think we're on the team. Yeah. I had people yelling about socialism on my mentions yesterday. I don't know. It's like it's always weird. You come back from a press conference or whatever, and whatever news that's out there is circulating, and people are reacting to it, and you sit down to see what's happening. And I sat down yesterday, and there was literally like a very in-depth argument about socialist governments in Venezuela. And, and I was like, what is possibly happening here? What is happening? It all went back Twitter. to – yeah, you know what it all went back to was the fact that uh, we now have the second free podcast, which is the, the walkout. And it saw someone's talking about, oh, now you want things for free, socialist, right? It was like – but anyway, so yeah, we have we because we have the free post game podcast now, which is the walkout that's up that we do every week. This one, uh, the Tuesday podcast, free uh, on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts for the most part. And then the on, the only one left behind the paywall is our Thursday preview uh, episode, which uh, we do every week. We talk to Joe Goodberry about film review. We talk to the opponent uh, the opponent's athletic beat writer, uh, which. Jay is going to be doing this week because he lost the bet, and uh, we, uh, we 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 give our predictions for the game and and give some news for what's been happening in the locker room on on Wednesday and Thursday. So um, those are great to have. We love people that come and subscribe, but I would like the people that say that we don't care about those that don't subscribe. <laughs> As I was also told when I was basically booed on Twitter. Uh, is that we do care about people that don't subscribe? That's why we love that some of these are now even more is out behind the paywall. We love everybody. 
We're here for everybody. We just say we try to put good content behind the paywall, too, because, hey, our family's got to eat, too. Everything can't be free. It can't, I wish it was. If only it was. Uh, but anyway, so that's that's kind of where we're at. We got a lot. Man, we got a lot to get to. Um, so we're going to kind of run through a little bit of some of the biggest concerns, a little bit of the, the quickly changing dynamic of the AFC North. We're going to take you behind the curtain with a conversation with defensive coordinator Lou Anaroma that was had yesterday, his reaction to uh, the just awfulness uh, that occurred on Sunday and what they're trying, kind of where they lie and trying to fix things. Uh, I'm going to answer a Twitter question that uh, <laughs> is a fun one. Uh, we're going to talk about our offensive brute. We're going to play run passer boot, of course. I really like a, I really like a couple run passer boots that are in here. Um, and, of course, we will, we will find out where Jay is trying to hunt free concert tickets to today. Um, all of that and who knows what else. Uh, so Jay, are you ready? I am ready. All right. Let's, uh, let's, let's get this thing rolling. Um, I want to start with this. I, I, this is kind of, uh, you know, we're going to start with our, our big icebreaker and that is, I'll just ask you to start ranking these and I feel like this will spawn many conversations, tangents. What are you most concerned about right now with this team going forward? I'll give you three. So it's sort of like an early run passer boot almost. Run game, tackling, or injuries. Where where are you at with those three? Uh, I think run game has to be at the top of the list. Um, you know that this team had offensive line issues last year, and they still found a way to run the ball. Um, I kind of dug into these these numbers. They they have fifty nine rushing yards through two games. That is one off of the lowest total in the Super Bowl era. The, the 2012 Titans had uh, only 58 rushing yards through two games. And if people want to say, well, it's because they got behind and they weren't throwing, they still ran it 19 times against the 49ers. And I also looked at those numbers for average yards per rush through two games, and the Bengals are the worst in the Super Bowl era at 1.8. So it is a huge concern. It's not just a, a hiccup. I mean, this is this is as bad as a, a team has ever been running the ball through two weeks. Um, injuries. I, I don't know. It's it's almost kind of pointless to worry about them because you can't you can't really do anything about them. They just crop up. Yeah, they, there are issues because a lot more guys got hurt on Sunday. But um, I would definitely put the the running game at the the top of the order right now. The 2012 Titans finished six and ten. How's that? <laughs> I think a lot of Bengal fans might think that's optimistic for this team right now. <laughs> yeah, Mike, Mike, Mike Munchak, the coach of of that crew. Um, you know what? I'm with you because I thought this was what this whole team was supposed to be based around, right? I mean, that's yeah. what we were sold. That's what was sold was that this there should be no one happier in this building than Joe Mixon and that's what this is about and this is this is going to be about the power of everyone being frightened to death of Joe Mixon and the play action coming off of that and that's not what this is that's not even in the slightest what this is there is not even the semblance of holes open in the running game and you can talk about oh well Seattle there you know they stay forced you to throw it and that's fine 
And then it's, well, San Francisco, you know, it's we get behind. Okay, these excuses start to mount when, you know, essentially, uh, you know, as I tell you, there, there, was, there was 13 good down and distance manageable runs where you can really judge the runs yesterday. You know, those need to be more productive, and they're not right now. And I don't know what makes you think that they all of a sudden will be uh, I, I, there's there's hope i mean there's always hope because things change and you you know joe mixon led the afc in rushing last year and all that stuff but if that never figures itself out you if you continue to put everything on andy dalton and and hey we're sitting here talking about the offense which you ran their numbers uh there it's the 11th ranked offense in football right now because they they are getting you know, decent yards per play uh, when you when you throw in with the, the success that they're having in the passing game. But, you know, it, it's not who they can beat. You can't count on Andy Dalton to carry you. This The offense, for this offense to be really good, it has to be Joe Mixon is threat one, and everything that they're doing in the passing game right now should be the thing that defenses are concerned uh, uh, after that. Right, because, I mean, the whole thing is – this Zach's whole offense is predicated on play action, and right now, play action is still somewhat effective because Mixon does have that history, and the the defenses are respecting it. But you get a couple more games like we've seen so far, and all of a sudden that respect for the run game goes away, and it gets a lot harder for for Andy to put up these kind of numbers in the passing game. Yeah, and the tackling is something we we didn't really touch on that, but. Uh, tackling is further down than the run game as well because I just think that's something that's going to work itself out. That that I think a lot of teams struggle with tackling. These guys don't play a lot in the in the preseason. They don't they don't do a lot of actual taking to the ground. Um, the concerning thing is it's 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 not so much the technique. It it that as Lou was talking about as Zach talked about yesterday. It's guys out of position and they're they're trying to make reach tackles instead of being where they're supposed to be in the proper gaps and and pinning the hip as they both uh, mentioned multiple times yesterday yeah being a step it was funny it was during during zach taylor's press conference and he says well it was more that they're a step slow right And, and he meant it like they're not there in position because of leverage but you know what they're also a step slow because they're a step slow right and we knew this Linebackers, we knew were going to be an issue. I, I like Nick Vigil. I think Nick Vigil can be a very good player, um, but and and I like Preston Brown, and I think he can be an okay player. But a team like this that uses misdirection and forces linebackers to go sideline to sideline is just not their strong suit. We knew it wasn't. They need a guy like Quan Alexander who actually goes sideline to sideline, as people saw, uh, to to make those plays. They don't have that. They haven't had that in who knows how long, and it's been part of the downfall of them defensively. And that's part of why they're a step slow, too. Uh, you, you just you, – you're going to play two linebackers, which they're doing, uh, and you're going to play these these five defensive linemen, whatever, however we're viewing this now. There's this debate over whether who's you – know, are we calling Carlos Dunlap a linebacker or whatever. He's playing the edge. Um, you know, those guys need to be better being out there on the edge because – you're not going to, you cannot consistently count on uh, Preston Brown and Nick Vigil to get to the outside consistently. And you know what you really can't count on? Draker the Patrick William Jackson to make a tackle because that is, that is not their strong suit. They can cover, 
they, they for the most part, I mean, that's their their strength is covering, and they and their clear weakness is tackling. And that's that's I, I, I might I might put tackling up there up there almost over run game for that reason that I don't think that it's necessarily lack of practice. I just don't know how good they are at it, particularly on the edges. And that could be, a, and it and it continued to be an issue as it has been for a while. Yeah, I, I love that the athletic has a partnership with a an analytics site called Sports Radar, and you can look up anything on there. And if you, anybody listening ever wants me to look anything up, uh, shoot me a, a message on Twitter. I love digging into that stuff, and it helps me kind of learn my way around the site. But I was looking up the missed tackles site or the missed tackles numbers from the San Francisco game, and, and I was stunned. It, it was 11, and it, it sure felt like a whole lot more than that. Uh, the most they had in a game last year was 12. Um, and it I don't know how they quantified. If, if a guy is kind of reaching and he just gets a, a, a slap on the, the shoulder pad, do they count that as a missed tackle? You know, you always hear the I, – I count that as a missed tackle. If you touch him, you don't bring him down. And you, you kind of see that when guys have long runs on TV, the announcers will start counting them up. And it's basically any time – a defender touches the guy with the ball. They count it as a missed tackle. So I was I was surprised it was only eleven. But um, yeah, if 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 that can't, if that doesn't get better, that that will almost certainly surpass the the run game as the primary concern. But I think it will. I, I just like I said, it's early, and, and I think that will work itself out. And it kind of leads into the third aspect of this because I think one of the biggest reasons that William and Dre's deficiencies tackling gets gets exposed in a game like this is because they don't have Darquez. The, the one thing you can say, and people, man, they love to take shots at Darquez Denard, and certainly the team did in, in, in their approach to him and across the league. He didn't get much love in free agency. Now he's got this injury thing that he's trying to come back from when he's on PUP. He is one of the best tackling corners in the league, and that's that's fact that is if you go off if you're talking about pro football focus numbers you're talking about if you're looking through sports radar whatever as far as making plays pff calls it stops and that's a a tackle for an offensive failure right and you always can gauge missed tackles he had one of the best stops to missed tackle ratios amongst corners in the entire league last year that's making plays that are that are above and beyond, and that's also not missing the plays that you should make. If I'm talking about a corner, that's what I want. A solid, especially in the slot, that's going to be up on the line more often. I mean, how many times did you see him sniff out bubble screens or hop up and pull down a guy who's running a, uh, one of these jet sweeps or whatever? That's his game, and I thought he was very missed on Sunday when San Francisco was running a lot of that type of stuff. You need that guy who get, who gets dirty and is is able to go make some of those plays. Now, would that have changed from having six plays of over 34 years? No. That probably would have looked pretty much the same, but if you're talking about tackling and you're talking about these edge runs and so much of that type of stuff, that was a game where you probably could have used Darquez and Art, and they won't have him back until week seven. And uh, that's that's part of this problem too, and that's part of where injuries come in. Is is And, and that's not an excuse, but it's it's – part of the makeup of this team right now is they're really weak on the outside, partially because they don't have him. Yeah. I, I think it was important that you mentioned that, that how, how intelligent he is and how that leads to how he's so good tackling because he does sniff out the, 
the bubble screens and the jet sweeps and chases those down because it's dicey. Anytime you start talking about a cornerback and tackle numbers, it's like, well, if you're not a very good cornerback, obviously you're going to have a lot of tackles because your guy's going to be open and you're going to be the first one there to bring him down. And that's not the case with Darquez. He, he is a really, he's really solid in the open field. And you can't say that about the, the two starting corners. I mean, I need, I didn't break down how many of those missed tackles belong to those guys, but you know, the one that really stands out is the play that Lou called ridiculous when, uh, Will was right there to – well, first of all, Geno blows up Weston Richburg, the 49ers center, pushes him three yards into the backfield, almost tackles the, the running back, Mac Breida, with the center. And Breida makes a cut. Will's right there to, to make a tackle, and he ends up laying on the ground, flailing at the guy and misses it. And what should have been a three-yard loss turned into a 34-yard run just because of that one missed tackle. And Nick Vigil overran the play, but – that just shows how how damaging cornerbacks that, that can't tackle like it can just it can just rack a defense and it will be big to get Darquez back. It'll be interesting to see when he does come back what that dynamic how that how that if he just automatically supplants B.W. Webb as the starting corner or how they work him in. Yeah, I'll be interesting to see that too. I mean, he's obviously – we don't really know. I, I would say he's fallen out of favor, but we don't really know that because he hasn't participated at all since signing as a free agent because of this the the scope that he had on his knee. And and so when the guy hasn't practiced or been around at all, you, you don't know if they like him or don't. I mean, I, I would assume putting him on PUP, we've been through this, the Quez discussion before – um, that there's a little bit of falling out of favor there um, just because they could have said let's we could probably get him back by week four or whatever and, and, and have him, but they decided not to. So, But we, we'll see. I, I think he's more missed than probably we're giving credit for, but I've always been probably a little bit more of a, a, a dark West and hard backer than most, and I'll admit that. I'll, I'll admit it. That's fine. Um, I, real quick, I, I want to dive into a couple of numbers. We've got – 0-2 Bengals versus 2-0 and Bills this week. And I know you dove into those stats. Can you just, for our folks that are looking for some sort of hope and less tears uh, to help them, uh, you know, with what those numbers show lately? Yeah, this this came about. It just kind of popped in my head when I, I was on with the, the good folks over in, in London on the, the Bengals UK podcast. And it, it just – I was talking about how when it – if you're zero and two, your your back is really against the wall, and it, it's a must-win situation. And you kind of reference this in your story too about the whole Jekyll and Hyde nature of this these first couple weeks, where nobody really knows what anybody is. You got a two and zero team that's probably feeling a little full of themselves, thinking that they're better than they really are. You got an zero and two hungry team. So I was interested to see how many times a two and zero team had, had squared off against an zero and two team in week three. Uh, in the last five years, it has happened 11 times, and uh, the 2-0 and teams are only 6-5 and five in those games. So not a very good advantage. I, I do think there's – if you, like we're, we know the Bengals so well and the personnel. Take that knowledge aside and just, just look at them as Team A and Team B. It just makes sense that, that the 0-2 the team is, is going to – they've got so much more to play for. Their season's on the line. Um I think that's something Bengal fans can can hang their hats on. And then you look at the fact that, yeah, Buffalo's 2-0, and but who have they beaten? They've beaten the Jets and the Giants. Now, granted, both of those were on the road. I, I was just looking this up. 
It is the first time in history Buffalo has started 2-0 with back-to-back road wins. So maybe there's a little concern there after all. But, but yeah, I, I, I do think that it makes sense that the 0-2 teams come out and, and play pretty well in Week 3. But you had a you had an 0-2 dive that would be a be cause for probably some tears for Bengal fans. Yeah, you know, that's you're being you, we're really building them up. I think it's time to go ahead and just go ahead and be mean and and, and it's time to, to to to, you know, stick it to them a little bit. This is reality though. This the the reality of the situation is the Bengals are 0 2 and they have been blown out one of those two games. And typically when you see a team look totally non-competitive early in the season, that tends to be a damning fact right I mean that tends to be who you are a little bit and exposes you as uh, um, you know a team that's going to finish towards the bottom of the league anybody watching Sunday can say this does not look like a good Bengals team that's ever going to really be competitive and and you can make lots of excuses and talk about oh well this is probably a pretty good San Francisco team and you know maybe they just got caught a little bit and and there's lots of the winnable games on the schedule and all this stuff that's fine so I, I kind of wanted to just see what it looks like. And so I went back in the last 10 years of teams that start 0-2, but one of those two games included a 20-plus point loss. So 0-2 with a blowout, right? 26 times in the last 10 years that has been the case with a team. One, one finished with a winning record, and that was the 2016 Washington team who went eight seven and one that one tie coming against the Bengals in london that's it one team has recovered to even have a winning record even worse 21 of the 26 teams in this situation that the Bengals are in finished with double digit losses so 81 percent four out of five four out of five dentists recommend you brush your teeth right i mean and if your dauber isn't down enough uh, I also looked at all of the, the Bengals 0-2 starts. Um, there have been 15 prior ones, and uh, they've all been since it went to a 16-game season in 1978. They have never rebounded from an 0-2. Forget about whether there was a blowout loss in that 0-2. They have never rebounded from an 0-2 start to have a, a winning season. Uh, three times they, they clawed back to 8-8. Eight and eight. But their average win number or win total when they start zero and two is five point one. Yeah, I mean, and that's you know what it, I, I will say. I do think San Francisco and Seattle are two of the tougher games on their schedule all year. And suddenly your schedule looks even. This is what happens. Your schedule starts to look easier when you have the Ben Roethlisberger injury. Now you've got two games against Mason Rudolph and whatever's going to be happening in Pittsburgh. Suddenly those games look more winnable. Um, you know you have. Obviously, you have Miami. You have whatever's happening. You have the 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 Washington. You have the Minshew show in Jacksonville. You've got there, there's a Arizona who, who's clearly not very good. All it's not like there aren't plenty winnable games in the schedule. And and the AFC North opens itself up to you being like, man. I mean, Cleveland wins last night, um, but they don't look like world beaters that everybody thinks they're going to be. You've got a lot of things where you you would want to have hope, especially in the division. And it's it's hard to because of the way that they looked this past Sunday, and who knows, maybe they're maybe they're more who they were in Seattle and less who they were against San Francisco. But that is the 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 twenty six teams is not a small sample size. That is not a fact of oh well, you know, just a couple of times. 
26 times over a 10-year period. Teams that look like this, teams that start like this, do not dig out from that. They just don't. And, and, and But honestly, what's different? If you thought they were a 6-10, and 7-9 and nine team, that's where a lot of those teams in that in that research, you can go look on, on The Athletic right now. I have all those numbers, all the work of all 26 teams and how they all finished. Most of them end up in that area. That's 6 and 10, 5 and 11, 7 and 9. That is where a lot of them end up. Uh, if you thought that's who this team was before and Vegas did, maybe there's, that's kind of still who you thought they were. Um, but, uh, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty damning to know that two weeks in – you have a one in twenty-six shot of being a half a game over five hundred. <laughs> but you bring, you bring up a good point about the, the the way the schedule lined up because when we both did our game by game predictions, we we both had them one and two after three weeks. I had them beating San Francisco, losing to Buffalo. You had those flipped, and we both had them rebounding to five and five. And I don't think either one of us had them beating Pittsburgh, and that that certainly looks like a winnable game now with Ben out. So, or a more winnable game, I should say. So yeah, I don't know. It it, it just it, it doesn't look good right now. But one win at Buffalo and, and the whole outlook changes. It does. Uh, it it does. I mean, but it, it it really it goes back to the things we were talking about earlier, and that's run game and tackle. I mean, it it would to me for it to really change, it would need to win at Buffalo and Joe Mixon gets this run game on track. I mean, to me, those are the two things they just have to see. Uh, to, to really instill real hope. I mean, I, I, I think that's going to be the key going forward. And I, I mean, shoot, we're, we're sitting here talking again about this offense when it's the, the defense that probably everybody knows they need to worry about. But story for another day. We'll get more into that on Thursday. I, I, so let's bring in Lou Anarumo, though, Bengals defensive coordinator, take you behind the curtain. I want to play a little bit so you can hear from him how he viewed what happened on Sunday, and a little bit of take on how they're trying to fix things. So here's here's about five minutes uh, with Bengals defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo. When you, when you watch the tape, what did you want the guys to get out of it most of all, just from where they went eyes-wise, where they went body-wise, physicality, all that? Yeah, I mean, I think the whole thing, you know, was something that uh, you never expect to go into a game, give up that many yards, obviously. Um, you know, they got to come away with everybody looking in the mirror and making sure they take accountability to themselves and each, each and every one of us. I mean, half their yards came after missed tackles and screens. Um, you know, we had over 160 yards after contact and 100 yards of screens. So uh, you take those two things away, which you can't, um, you know, and that's that's a major part of what the, they did. And I had a good plan and all, all that, all credit to the, to the Niners, but it's unacceptable. You know, we got to play better than that. You guys did a good job in Seattle stopping their run game. Yeah. This week it was totally different. Yeah. What was the biggest difference this week? Yeah, so it's a, it's a totally different run scheme. Uh-huh. First and foremost, you know, I thought we matched up well with Seattle in terms of their power run game. You know, we got big guys. This thing, yesterday, you're talking about a uh, two-back run scheme that um, look around the league, there's not a ton of that these days. You know, it's a lot of one-back and and so, um, you know, we that got on us quick, you know, simulating in practice. Uh, we saw it, but the first time we saw it live was yesterday. Um, and so the two-back stuff got us all off kilter a little bit. It shouldn't. 
but it did, you know, and then just different things, moving our guys' eyes. And, and uh, we may, once you're a little bit late on a fit in the run game, you know, one guy, you had a bunch of eight-man fronts called, so it wasn't like we were playing pass. We were playing run. And uh, you get out, one guy gets out of a gap in their seams, and that's kind of what happened yesterday. Your time as a defensive coach, have you ever had a running back average 10 yards no. to carry on you? No, that was – no. You talked about the yards after contact. I mean, how, how quickly can – can tackling issues be fixed? Well, I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, part of it is leverage too. So uh, a couple times where a guy's supposed to stay outside the block and he, and he doesn't, and now all of a sudden the guys that are pursuing, uh, it changes their angle. So now you, you turn in to what should be a one or two guys making a tackle. Now it's one guy making a tackle. And, uh, and then if he misses, then it's out the gate. So uh, you know, it's something that we practice every day. It's not something we take lightly, uh, certainly. But, the, you know, we, we didn't do a good job yesterday, obviously. They talked about, uh, the guys talked about the problems on the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, seemed a lot, of, a lot of problems on the edge. With uh, what, but Was was it uh, guys getting caught inside? Or was it, uh, just a little bit. I think, uh, you know, that was one of the things, uh, you know, that they mess with your eyes a little bit with all the, different things that they do, but uh, just gets back to holding the edge and keeping contained. And, and uh, a couple of times, like the, like the players already mentioned, that we were in position to do that and we didn't. And that's, that's a day one thing. So, you know, we can't, we can't go chase ghosts. You go ch- chase plays, you're going to give up more than you make. And, and that's kind of what we did. We got a little bit over aggressive at times and, and lost the uh, edge of the defense. Was that a lot of just misdirection stuff that they were doing? A lot of motion. Uh, I mean, they ran the ball downhill. Now there wasn't a ton. You know, there was some of the some of the uh, things that bounced out wide were because the ball was forced to go out there. Um, you know, we had the jet sweep. They ran early in the game. And, you know, we get it on the ground, but you know, we get the key third and one early in the game. And if what we were excellent on, I think the guys even used the term up in Seattle was pinning the hip. You've heard them say that. Well, if we just pin the hip. It's a TFL. Instead, it goes for 30-something yards, which is ridiculous. So it, it's just the, the, the fundamentals of the things that we, all, we, that we all did right a week ago, but we did, we did none of that this week, and that's ultimately it doesn't matter what we did in Seattle. We've got to do what we did yesterday, and you know, we've got to move on and go get the bills. That's what's important. How do you account for that slippage? I mean, it's probably hard as a coach. I mean, you're not expecting that kind of slippage, no. right? Yeah. No, you never want to. <clears throat> we tell the guys all the time is we don't want to. Uh, start having to fix problems that, you know, there's going to be some issues on Sundays because the offense is doing some different things, but you don't want to have to fix things that don't pop up during the week. So like a simple thing, like you're not going into the game saying, all right, we're going to have to work on pinning the hip. I mean, that's, that goes back to April, you know? Um, So we're, we're, uh, we're, we're still a work in progress that way. I think you saw a little bit of a, uh, a program that's in their third year as a staff, as a program that's in their sixth month, uh, not making excuses by any, Shape or form, um, but we're still we're still working on things that we shouldn't be, and, and we'll get that fixed this week. How much are you kind of still learning on the fly? How players will react to something like this, and how you guys work together with with yeah. handling this? Um, I mean, there's adjustments that are made every week. Uh, you know, I, I think that we can all do things better, but uh, um, you know, we we're, we call the same defenses, and and you know, I I don't think that. Um, you know, there was that much of a problem in terms of communication between myself and the players. Uh, they, that that part was actually good. It just wasn't we weren't executing. I was gonna say, yeah. How do you strike the balance of, of of not wanting to appear as if you're overreacting, but yet 
getting across the urgency. That yeah, no, there's no, be. there's no gray. They, they, they screwed it up. We screwed it up. Not just players, it's us as coaches as well. And um, this is a, a performance-based business, and we did not perform at all yesterday. So uh, while the game got away from us, we, we watched it. The guys are out of the building now. It's 3.30. We're moving on to Buffalo, and, and uh, we got our points across that we needed to. We'll, we'll correct one or two more things on Wednesday in terms of scheme things that we, we need to, uh, but all our emphasis will be going towards uh, going up to play Buffalo. All right, good to uh, hear from Lou Anaruma. I, look, uh, at a certain – he kind of – when he came down and talked to us, he sort of said, all right, well, because he came down last week. He said, well, I, you know, you got you got to be – you can't just come down when you play good. Uh, and, and you know, that's that's part of the game here. And, you know, you, you want to believe anything anybody's saying, but really it, it doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> there's not too much that anybody can say that hasn't already been said. You hope that there is that, you know, the idea of communication and easily fixable things. And one guy, I just, there's a lot of that that sounded a lot like things we heard from Terrell Austin last year, too. And you know how that ends up. I was just going to say the exact same thing. He, he came in with such a positive attitude on Mondays and, and said all the right things and, and, and said he was there to, to face the, the music. And it just, it never turned around. But I did, I, I did like Lou's approach yesterday. And um, we'll see. I mean, we, we've talked about this over and over, but first-year coordinator um, on both sides of the ball, first-year head coach, we, we knew there was going to be s- some struggles early. We're seeing him now. Uh, this is this is where it gets real. This is where they figure out what is wrong and what their problems are, and then can they fix them, kind of what you wrote about after the game with Zach. This is when we find out who he is as a coach. Yeah, and if the, and if the players stay on board or if they jump off ship. So we'll uh... – We'll see about that. I want to jump into some segments here. Uh, start out with some Twitter que- with a Twitter question that I saw, it, which it revolves around a, a few of them that I that popped up about Bengals trading for Minka Fitzpatrick or Jalen Ramsey. Uh, Minka got traded to Steelers. Um, they gave up a first round pick, which I got to tell you, I mean, go over and listen to um, the Immaculate Podcast with the Steelers folks. Um, They've got a couple of topics. Um, <laughs> can you do multiple emergency pods in the same day? Uh, I think that's that's where they're probably at when you consider the day they had yesterday with the Roethlisberger injury and trading away, then trading with their first-round pick. So, Because when the Roethlisberger injury happens, my first thought is look at the look at the Steelers. They're about to luck into the Peyton Manning scenario where the, you know Peyton Manning gets hurt and the Colts end up with a top pick and draft Andrew Luck and, and make the transition. They're about to possibly lose Roethlisberger, according to Ed Bouchette, maybe for his career, and have a so have a season that's already 0-2. You've got a backup quarterback coming in. You stink your way to a top five top pick or whatever in a draft that has, you know, where you're talking whatever quarterback you want to pick and if that could possibly be there at the top. And then they trade away their first round pick for Minka Fitzpatrick. That could be a very – there is no way that that Steelers team can be that confident that Mason Rudolph won't be bad enough where they can't win many games, that you're gonna you're willing to trade away what could be a top five or ten pick. Granted, that's a big position, and it's a spot that they've been getting toasted at over and over and over again. But, wow, that that shocks me. That that really shocked me to be willing to give up that when you when you consider where they could be at quarterback. 
Exactly. I mean, I haven't seen a single, you know, national person or, or anybody that, that likes that trade for Pittsburgh. I mean, everybody, norm, sometimes you, you get pros and cons on both sides. Everybody is kind of scratching their head on this one. You know, what, what are they doing? Um, I don't know. I don't know if they would quite be in that, in that Peyton Manning scenario. That's still a decent roster. And if Mason Rudolph can come in and, and play, I mean, what was he a third round pick? I mean, he was that I'm not bearing the Steelers yet, but you know, you look at their schedule. They've they've got a pair of West Coast trips starting this week at San Francisco, sandwiched around a pair of division games. It yeah, it it could go south in a hurry. But you know, I picked them to win the division. I, I would obviously change that pick right now. But I'm I'm not throwing the dirt on them yet. I I, I, I and I'm certainly not thinking that they're going to be in, in the, the the running for a, a top five pick. I just, I think even without the Fitzpatrick trade, they had a good enough roster to avoid that. Um, but it's still, I giving up a first round pick is, is such a price to pay. And I don't know that Minka Fitzpatrick can be that much of a difference maker. Or they just figure... Tua will be the only quarterback really worth taking at one, perhaps, or what, whichever way they view it, and that Miami clearly has positioned themselves uh, to be the one to pull the trigger on that one. But I, I it, and you do get into trouble when you start thinking about draft picks or whatever. But I, trading a number one pick when you're zero and two and your starting quarterback just got hurt. That that guy better be better than Minka Fitzpatrick, in my opinion. Uh, but you know what? This isn't the Steelers podcast, so we won't go into their troubles. Uh, but I I found that to be a very interesting decision. But what I wanted to refer to was people discussing the possibility of trading for Jalen Ramsey, and I just wanted to talk this out for a second. And for anybody that's saying that the Bengals should do that, and it hasn't been overwhelming like most people. As soon as someone is is demanding a trade or like or you know let go and is a free agent, it's immediately I've got tons of people. This wasn't a ton of people telling me this, but I just I saw enough of it that I just felt like a need to address it here, and that is if let's just say let's just let's just say you're going to see this on as for face value that a a, a coach that has preached nothing but culture and trying to clean out some of the problems is going to give up assets, a first-round pick, who knows what, when you consider what he's got for Minka Fitzpatrick, a first-round pick or more for a guy who just basically verbally attacked his coach on the sideline, who has demanded a trade, who showed up with a hype man in a Brinks truck to training camp this year, okay? And then you're also going to – and that's at a position where you have we've, – you can complain about those guys all you want to. You do have two starting level players who are you are paying a lot of money. Jalen Ramsey, who would be owed money very, 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 very soon, and a ton of it as well. Are you going to pay him instead of William Jackson III? Whatever. Let's say all of that. All I want to know is one thing: who's telling AJ Green? <laughs> who's telling AJ Green that Jalen Ramsey's here? That's what I want to know. And are you so you're basically picking? a Jalen Ramsey personality over an A.J. Green personality, because let me tell you who's then immediately demanding a trade the moment that happens. Okay? Let's try to make, remember the history here. Yeah, it would at least make uh, going to practice a little more interesting than it is now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, hey, they 
somehow Vontez and Antonio Brown got along for a couple minutes in uh, in Oakland. And... <laughs> Did they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was it? I, I thought I heard where Vontez was the one holding AB back from Mike oh, Mayock. Yeah. Best friends, best friends, kindred kindred <laughs> souls. Uh, anyway, I just I felt the need to, in case people had forgotten. Uh, let's just keep that in mind. Um, offensive brute of the week. Who's your offensive brute this week? Yeah, Tyler Boyd. Um, fantastic. Ten catches on ten targets. That that doesn't happen a lot. And it, it wasn't just that. It was six of his six of his ten catches produced first downs, and four of them converted third downs. I mean, he was just. We've seen this from him before. He he's. He was so good his rookie year on, on third down, led the league in third down receptions. Um, and, and a lot of that came later in the game when the 49ers knew the Bengals were going to be throwing and, and he still got open. Made They weren't wide open catches either. A couple of them were really tough contested catches. He just – I thought he really played well. He did. And, you know, the, the, the immediate reaction from most fans besides, you know – uh, drinking punch you in the IPAs and crying is is that you want to blame the quarterback and you want to scream. You know, the the one thing that this team has right now is a passing game. I mean, and with that's without AJ Green. You know, there I think the the emergence of John Ross and you know you saw him learn from his mistake. Uh, on Sunday where he, he makes the mistake of cutting back and admits that he should have trusted speed more than late in the game. Granted, it's garbage time and whatever, but it's the perfect example of using John Ross's speed to your advantage. He, he runs that deep dig and just takes off and trusts his speed, and he blows everybody away. It's it's the perfect example. That's what 4-2 is supposed to look like, of guys thinking they have the angle and grasping at air or, or heels, you know? You're, you're seeing that, and you're seeing Tyler Boyd do what he did where he's so good in those possession downs. And if you bring A.J. Green back, I mean, Andy Dalton is, is uh, let's see, his yards per attempt is 7.8 right now, uh, which is the second-best number of his career on the heels of, of his great season in 2015. And that's what I talked about for the season. I, I thought there was a good chance this is going to be his second-best season because of some of the things that are set up with the way this offense should be for him. You know, forget 364 a game. I mean, the volume is so high that I, I don't really care about passing yards. Um, but, you know, it's his, his yards per attempt are high. He's getting sacked a ton. And that's that's part of the problem. I mean, his sack rate is, is as high as it's been, but his yards per attempt are high. He's had a, a few puzzling decisions, but I mean, you you can live with that when you're, you know, averaging like eight yards a, a throw. Um, he he's he's certainly far from perfect, but of all the things that we're talking about and concerns, uh, him and the passing game are not really among them right now, uh, because there's there's other. Uh, you know, higher alarm was a four alarm fire. We, I always forget: is it the more alarms, the worse it is, or is it the less alarms, the worse it is? The, the more alarms. You're thinking of felonies. The lower the number on a felony, the worse. <laughs> they're all, yeah, they're, they're all concerning. They're all concerning. Five alarm. It, we're, it's you know, there's there's five alarm fires on this team. I would say Andy Dalton is is probably only maybe a one or two. It's like or or it's like a one of those fires that the containment fires. You know, a brush, a kitchen fire. 
Kitchen fire, yeah. It's not not much. And he uh, looked good um, getting out of pocket. That, that I mean, that used to yeah. be one of his weaknesses. Is you know kind except of except the throw, the except the interception. Well, that was that was more of a decision than the throw. The, I mean, that was just I don't know if he didn't see Quan Alexander if he thought he could squeeze it between the the two defenders, but that that was even that that one really hurt him because if they go down to get points there, it's a totally different game at halftime. But but yeah, he's. So many times early in his career, he got criticized for pocket presence and not really feeling it collapse. And and I thought he he got sacked five times in Seattle, but he also escaped a couple times and made some really nice throws on the run. And um, I, I think we've seen him take a step forward in that regard. That the the concerning thing is that he has to he shouldn't be on the run, but you know it's going to happen from time to time. Um, but yeah, I I really don't have any concerns with with I, I shouldn't say any, but. You're right. He is at the the low end of the concern meter right now, as far as this whole team is concerned. Yeah. Um, all right. So that that's kind of where we're offensive brute. Uh, we need to recap the growler bet uh, from Thursday, and uh, so time time to point out that uh, when we're talking about growler bets and we're talking about drinking beer, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about our great friends at Fifty West. Brewing company, you know, you know who people need in their life today, Jay. They, Beer makers. They need, they need. They need optimistic Bobby and Brewers, <laughs> because that's why this would be the perfect place to go. Go down to Fifty West, get some, get get some of the uh, American Lager, get some of the Coast to Coast, drink some Doom Pedal, sit out on the patio, and then let optimistic Bobby tell you why things will be okay. My guy down there, he's he, everybody knows he's the most optimistic fan out there. He pointed out uh, on Twitter on Sunday that it was a great day to get a tan at the stadium. Uh, that if you were there, it was the sun was out. You could you could kind of roll your sleeves up and and help get that tan. You, know, you didn't even have to really watch the game if you didn't want to. But uh, they also he also knows uh, about making delicious beer and uh, creating a great atmosphere. They've got like a whole campus going on down there now. Uh, which it's incredible with sand volleyball leagues and they're doing running groups and cycling groups and canoeing and everything else. And so it's a, a, a ton of fun down there. And obviously they still have the brew pub making great food and, and so much good beer. So if you get a chance, make sure you head down to 50 West Brewing Company, our great friends down there. We will be doing some live events down there this year, which I'm really excited about. We've had really great attendance on those when we've done those in the past. Um, so I hope to see people down there when we come back down. But anyway, Make sure you're picking that up. Or just, you know, go to Kroger. Get yourself a six-pack. They've got all kinds of uh, stuff out right now, uh, seasonals. And they've got the uh, the the Ocean City Ghost is out right now, which is really good. Um, but anyway, so make sure you pick that stuff out. We love all our good friends at 50 West. Or go to Jungle Gyms. You can get any brand you want, any any beer at 50 West you want at Jungle Gyms. They will take care of you. We're trying to get us, we need to get that second sponsorship. Get that Jungle Gyms. That's what we need. If we can just get more people involved that just drop beer off at our or whatever, just hook us up. That's what we need. We need more of that in our life, don't we all? Don't we all? Um, growler bet. Um, so last week, we got to apologize. I, I don't. I don't know how these things happen other than we just need to probably take more naps. Uh, somehow we left Michael Jordan out of the bet for total snaps played by a rookie. And I think that's actually a sign that 
that's how good Michael Jordan had been doing uh, in that we had totally forgot that he was a rookie starting. Um, so credit to him, even though he's hurt now and probably not going to play this week, and that's another topic that we can get into. But uh, I ended up winning because uh, we had, what, 23 snaps from Drew Sample? Yeah, actually it was 19. From anybody else? Yeah, 19 from Sample. I, I, I told you wrong on him. It wasn't 23. It was 19. And, uh, yeah, nobody else – no other – no other draft rookie draft picks that we had thought were in the list played. Um, we weren't we weren't counting Michael Jordan since since we forgot him. So your your pick was twenty eight, mine was thirty, and uh, nineteen was closer to twenty eight. So you are two and zero on the season. Two and zero on the season. Uh, I lost the preseason, but that's just a time of that's like the uh, you know the possession arrow essentially in case we have a tie later on this year that will break it. Um, so you so now that means I'm deferring to you. I'll let you go ahead and make the Buffalo call this week. Yes, I will be talking with Matt Fairburn, who covers the Bills for us, and um, see what how giddy they are. Are, are they are they talking Super Bowl or you know they they've kind of had a a history like the Bengals? Are are are, are there is their fan base waiting for the the shoe to drop of you know a little bit of a tease of optimism and then everything to fall apart? Um, if you want to follow the athletic guys that, that cover the Bills this week, um, Matt, his his Twitter handle is um, Fairburn Matt. So it's F-A-I-R-B-U-R-N-M-A-T-T. And then also Tim Graham is terrific. Um, really good writer. He's been in Buffalo forever. Uh, his Twitter handle is by Tim Graham. Yeah, make sure you check them out. And and. It's like it's like best friends getting together and, and meeting back up at summer camp or something like that, right? Because I mean, you've got all the Bills fans so happy to see their prodigal son Andy Dalton return. Maybe he'll go check in on his his wing of the Buffalo in the Buffalo hospital that they built, the you know, and, and get get another standing ovation and and all of that stuff. Uh, without doubt, Andy Andy Dalton far more loved in Buffalo than in Cincinnati. I, I'm really interested to see though because that 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 homecoming, that warm, fuzzy. I mean, let's not forget that was a preseason game. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of reception he gets uh, this time when it's when it's a regular season game. I don't think it's going to be the the typical hostility you get from Buffalo fans, but I don't think it's going to be as warm and fuzzy as it was last year. Will Will, will they care about John Miller? <laughs> maybe they'll have to care about Cordy Glenn. I mean, there, there's just so many connections um, yeah. between these two teams, but yeah, I, I think, I think Andy will be the, the, even though he's never played for the bills, I, I think he will be the focal point of that crowd. There was a point where I thought Andy Dalton would end up in Buffalo. And I think Josh Allen is instilling some hope there because I thought, well, okay, about the time that Andy would come up, potentially, and if, if the Bengals decide to move on after his 2020 contract is up, would be about the time that the Bills would be kind of crapping out on Josh Allen if he sucked. And that would seem to be a natural fit. with You know what I mean? It would have kind of made a lot of sense, even if he was a bridge or whatever he was going to be. I thought, man, Andy, I can see Andy Dalton ending up in Buffalo, right? Already beloved. Uh, but now that Josh they Allen They already have seems- another former Bengal quarterback. Matt Barkley's still there. Oh, yeah, you're right, Matt Barkley. They're just everywhere. It's just <laughs> it, you, Tyler Croft's on. He's hurt, though. Tyler yeah. Croft is hurt. Yeah. Um, 
Russell Bodine got traded and then cut by New England. <laughs> oh. uh, anyway, so yeah, the, it's it, it, the list goes on and on. Preston Brown, of course, going back homecoming too. Um, you mentioned Cordy Glenn, and you know, I, I, I'm gonna hope to have more. I don't know what I'm gonna get. Uh, I'm gonna hope to have more on Cordy Glenn later this week. I'm, I, I, you know, I. This is confounding. I, I don't know that I've ever seen a concussion lat go like on like this. I'm concerned for him. I'm concerned for the Bengals. Uh, it's it's all very weird to see. We're now on 31 days, I believe. 31. We're basically, today's 32. Actually, yeah. today's 32. 32 days, a full over a month now since Cordy Glenn self-reported his concussion, and still no sign of return. And I don't I just don't know that I've seen one go on this long before and, and I don't know what is going on here. Um, but you know, at a certain point, I think we've well gone beyond the point that you have to wonder if he will come back this year or what's really going on there. Well, yeah, and I mean if that's the I mean, you gotta worry about career. If if, if a concussion yeah. knocks you out for an entire season, I it's probably time to hang it up. I mean we we've seen him around. He seems to be in good spirits. Uh, he has been out at practice the last couple of weeks, um, but he hasn't taken that next step to to where he's doing side work or any kind of football activity. At least when we've been out there, they, you know, they, they they close it to the media thirty minutes afterward or a, after it starts. He could possibly be doing some stuff that we don't see. But there's been no indication that has been the case. And uh, Zach Taylor said he's seen concussions last this long. I haven't. I, I, I just I think it is, is really concerning, especially because I can't find where it happened. I've gone back and watched every snap Cordy played in the preseason, um, both those games, and it, it does I don't I haven't seen anything that would make you believe that there was a concussion. Maybe it was something that happened in practice, but uh, this is all a really big mystery so yeah i'll be i'll be interested to see what you dig into this week yeah well so we have that uh more on that and then of course matt fairburn from buffalo uh joe, five good goodberry minutes uh with joe goodberry talking about film we'll have all that on the, the thursday episode the bonus pod that is uh behind the paywall um for those of you that are subscribers thank you uh for those of you that aren't um you know hey it's it's cheap good promos uh it's we we, we do everything we can to make it absolutely well worth your money uh to subscribe and and hope that you will if not see you on sunday uh let's go run pass or boot time okay so you got you got a good one here for the Bengals that we can go into run pat your run pass or boot is what of these three are most likely to happen dalton leads the nfl let's say afc dalton leads the afc in passing yards mixon leads in rushing yards, or John Ross leads in receiving yards. I, I'll start. I'll start this time. I will say that I think the most likely to happen is Dalton. I'm going to run with Dalton leading the AFC in passing yards. I am going to pass on Ross. I'm going to pass on Ross leading in receiving yards 
and I'm going to boot Mixon leading in rushing yards. I mean, he's already two games way behind. Uh, although he did he did lead last year not playing two games, but it does right. not look to be that there's some sort of solvent in sight. Um, and I think that they're going to be playing from behind quite a bit as well. So I think that when A.J. comes back, John Ross's numbers are probably going to tick down, you have to assume. Uh, but Dalton is going to continue to have to wing it all over the lot. I would think that you're going to have a lot of games to look at these first two. As a volume passer, I think he could. Uh, I mean, he's competing with guys like Patrick Mahomes and, and whatever, but, I mean, when you consider the volume he's going to have and what he's thrown through the first couple weeks, I'll, I'll run with that. Yeah, I, I was the same way. I, I thought that was an easy decision um, to go with Dalton as, as the run. Um, I'm going to go the other way, though. I'm, I'm going to – I'm going to pass on Joe Mixon because of what you said, the the fact that he missed two games last year and still led the AFC in, in rushing. Um, I know that it basically he's missed these last two games because the numbers have been so low. So I still think there's chance there. I, I'm going to boot John Ross just because it, there's always that in the back of your mind about injury. Um, yeah. And, and also because, like you said, when A.J. gets back, his, his targets are going to go down. Tyler Boyd is is looks like he's going to be another big target. You still have Eifert. Um, I just I, I can't see John Ross keeping this up, especially when you look at 66 of what he had Sunday was that, that garbage time touchdown. So, yeah, I'm going to boot him out. I don't think there's any chance he leads the AFC in, re- in receiving. All right, run passer boot for you, Jay. Are you ready? All right. The year is 1988. Your mullet is gorgeous. And it is, it, it, plumage is in full effect. It's everything you want it to be. There are three. It landed concerts. me my wife? <laughs> of course it did. It's curled up. It's coming out the back of your hat. What, what, will be, what, was, on a, what was on Jay's hat in 1988? Uh, that's a good. I didn't wear hats. My hair was too glorious to cover. Yeah, with a hat. yeah. You didn't want to. Yeah, you're right. You didn't want to hide it. Uh, there's three concerts available for you to go to: Run Passer Boot, Jay Morrison, Skid Row, Poison, or Motley Crue. Um, this is this is really a pretty easy one. Uh, Motley Crue would be the run. I mean, it's. I love their music. Uh, they they put on a just an awesome show. Uh, you never knew what you were going to see in the crowd, let alone on the stage. Um, <laughs> it was, I saw them several times and, uh, it was worth it every single time. What did you uh, I'll see pass on Skid Row. Crowd. I what love them. What did you see in the crowd? That's what I want to know. What did you see in the crowd in those shows? Everything and anything. <laughs> Drug use, sex, fights. It was awesome. It was like pay-per-view. <laughs> um, All right. <laughs> Second. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I'll pass on Skid Row. I, I do love them. Um, I almost went to see Sebastian Bach solo uh, at the Blue Note in Harrison a couple weeks ago. Or, I know it was last weekend, but um, I played sand volleyball instead. I couldn't I couldn't bail on my volleyball team. We had a doubleheader. The Blue Note in Harrison? Yeah. he uh, he. Sebastian Bach <laughs> is actually in Pittsburgh the weekend, the night before the Bengals-Steelers game, and it sold out. The tickets it. on StubHub. Well, yeah, because there's probably wherever he's playing, there's like 80 seats standing room. 
right? It's yeah, like, it, they, it's very small venue, yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I don't know much. I've not been to the Blue Note in Harrison, but I don't think I need to have been there to know that it's a pretty small venue, I'm guessing. I, I think it's bigger than you think. It's not Bogarts, but it, it's bigger than you think. Um, they've, they've redone it there. Um, but yeah, I, I do. I love Skid Row. They only had a couple albums, though, so that, that, that kind of makes that the pass. And then I'll boot Poison. Um, I, I wasn't in 88. I wasn't as big of a fan as I am now, believe it or not. I, I do think, you know, back then they, they had kind of the, the, the makeup and I don't know, it was just, it looked more, it was kind of hairband shtick, but some of their songs have really held up over the years. And my wife and actually, my wife and I actually saw them at Riverbend last year and uh, really, really were impressed. Uh, Brett Michaels, a great front man, really got the crowd involved um, for, for an old time band. I was really impressed with, with how they played, but if it was 1988 and I'm in mullet glory, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm booting poison. <laughs> Every rose has its thorn, Jay. That's one of the good ones. <laughs> it, 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 I like it still. You can you can criticize me all you want, but no, that, I like I like every rose has its thorn. I, I, when that one comes on, when that comes on, someone plays out on the touch tunes, and guess what? People people love it across generations. It has stood the test of time. Along with something to believe in, the uh, yeah. that's a, another ballad of theirs that is really strong. And, and at that show, he he brought a bunch of uh, military members up on stage, and that that really kind of drove that that song home. Um, that, that is that is the most poison thing to do, by the way. Yes, it is pretty much pandering. Bring but... the military out. I mean, drop the flag in the background. Yeah, we know. That's what the Bengals need to do to avoid all the booing. <laughs> Just surround the field and military members. Mil- yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> so, uh, so my run passer boot for you is this week Buffalo. Uh, we don't fly there because it's really difficult to fly. We drive, so. I'm wondering for you the ideal way to pass the time on the drive to Buffalo. Will it be listening to podcasts, listening to music, or listening to college football games? Ooh, I I, I would say I would I would start with podcasts because I have a bunch that I want that I would want to catch up on, and music. I so I run with that. The uh, music, I. I will pass. That's more college listening to college football. I I I got this past weekend kind of made, makes me mad about college football. The, between targeting and all the reviews, the games take so long. There's so many blowouts. There's like a few. I, I I love college football when the games are good. They're just so rarely good because there's so many mismatches in cupcake games. And I like watching players because I watch it through a draft perspective. But college football, I'm, this year has me a bit soured on college football. And I'm sure that will change once we get into some of the bigger games and all that stuff. But the fact that like, there's like five, maybe ten teams that are real and everybody else is pretty much just fighting to play in the Sun Bowl. Like, I, 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 it's, it, I don't know. I, I, I'm just really souring on it as as the – I think the, the BCS and the new rules and all the reviews have – or, or you know the new playoff system has has changed some a lot of the dynamics for the sport and it's kind of soured me on it a little bit and listening to it definitely I'm not into but yeah I, I so podcast music and I'm booting college football sorry college football that's where I'm the, at. the best thing about college football on the radio I have Sirius so I've got a bunch of games I can listen to and I I love doing this on long car rides 
is you, you find like a big name school like a Michigan that's losing to a team like Army and you listen to that home broadcast and just the the homer announcers that are beside themselves that yeah. that they're struggling <laughs> with it. that's just so much that's so fun to listen to but yeah it, it is it's it's hard to listen to an entire game uh, of college football uh, on a long trip like that unless I'm an Ohio State fan so if Michigan's losing I'll listen, I'll listen to that all day <laughs> Well, if you ha- that's it. if you have your team, that's different. But again, I find that hard too because you, if you have your team, if you're Ohio State or Alabama or Clemson or whoever, I mean, what is the joy in watching them just pummel these terrible these teams that they're so much better than every single week? You know, and except for a couple times a year where you get a real opponent, and it's I don't know. To me, that's it's 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 a bit exhausting, and I think it's it's unfortunate that it's come to that a little bit. Uh. Where are you? Are you? Where are you looking for free tickets this week? Uh, I don't have any update. I'm still trying to get the Kid Rock tickets to see if we can, <laughs> if we can scalp our louder than life tickets. Um, but yeah, I've, I've had no luck. I, 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 I'm trying. I'm trying to win. I, uh, I actually driving down to the stadium on Sunday for the game. I heard uh, Ken Brew give away the, the uh, big play of the game, and I thought, oh, I can win this because I knew what it was for the Reds. And I hate when stations do this. Maybe it's Verizon. I don't know. But you call, and it'll ring, and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to be the right caller. And then all of a sudden, that ring turns into a busy signal. And it happens all the time now when I'm trying to call and win tickets. So I don't know if it's my phone. I don't know what it is. But I have had no luck getting through, not just being the right caller, but getting through as a caller at all. So still still hopeful for Kid Rock. But it looks like we might be seeing Guns N' Roses and Ice Cube and – Stone Temple Pilots and Bad Flower and a bunch of other bands at Louder and Louder Than Life next weekend. I love that. That's like your consolation is ah, oh, we're just not going to get those Kid Rock tickets. It's and there's so many people feeling empathy for you right now. Oh yeah, I too hate it when I call the radio stations and it turns to a busy signal. Oh, maybe it's just because they're just surprised that anyone's still calling in to do this. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people don't call. I feel like that's why I nobody win so calls. much because nobody else is trying. <laughs> nobody else is trying. It is why you win all the time, Jay. <laughs> I love it. Uh, all right, uh, so th- that'll wrap us up. Thanks, everybody, for listening. The game will be back with the Growler on Thursday, um, which is behind the paywall. And then we'll be back with the free walkout after the game Sunday in Buffalo. Uh, thanks to everybody that's been listening and following along. Um, and so we will uh, we will talk to you next time on Hear That Podcast Growl. Have a good one, everybody. everybody this is paul Eno jr from here that podcast growling uh, if you know me you know i can't get enough of a good sports story and that's why i'm excited to share here with you uh the new sports podcast from our team with the athletic and with our friends the wondry it's called the lead uh it's basically for every type of sports fan who wants to go beyond the basic box score it's it's one big story you know we've got all these reporters we have 400 reporters embedded across all these different teams 
every day taking a deeper look at one. You know, from the lasting impact of the blown pass interference call in last year's NFC Championship game, or if this was January of 2016, you'd be hearing me going deep into all the history behind the Bengals and the Steelers after the meltdown at Paul Brown. Sorry to bring up bad things, but... Anyway, the, the lead is hosted by Kavitha Davidson and Peabody award-winning journalist Anders Kelto. They take you behind the scenes. It's exclusive interviews you won't hear anywhere else. Uh, anyway, uh, you're going to hear a preview. This is the, uh, the first episode talking about Saints and Rams and everything that's gone down since then leading up to their game this past Sunday. Uh, if you're listening, check out theathletic.com slash the lead uh, for the featured articles that are you're hearing about. And then uh, go to the lead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Uh, subscribe, all that good stuff. Thanks for listening. I know you're going to love it. You can follow sports through sound bites or the full story. From up in the press box or down on the sidelines. What do you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter. Stories about players. A guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. That's the buzzer. Oh, he knocks it down. Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guys. From The Athletic, home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator. I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead. Go faster, faster! Go beyond the box score, five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. I have never seen anything like that. The lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. The lead, sports up close. Hey, hey, I need some more of that.